When it comes to an Irish-obsessed southwest Victoria, names don't come much bigger than Geraldine Ryan. At 89, she's the world's longest registered Irish dancing teacher that's still teaching. That's 77 years of teaching. It's just unbelievable. Each week, she darts all over Victoria to mentor regional students, and we're blessed to have her teach at Hamilton and Crossley. This woman is incredible. She takes long train and bus rides from her Melbourne base to teach. She'll then stay with a local family for the night and rise early in the morning so she can get to another part of the state. As if that wasn't enough, almost every year she provides students with a chance to represent their country overseas. This year it was meant to be Poland, Slovenia and Montenegro. This superwoman is one of the most cult important cultural icons Australia and Ireland have ever had. Uh, Geraldine, thanks for joining me. How are you going? Good morning, good afternoon, whichever it is. Thank you for having me. That, that, that's uh, it's an absolute pleasure, um, Geraldine. Um, we, I've, I've caught you in unusual times with the coronavirus pandemic happening. Um, have you ever had anything like the uh, this pandemic interrupt you and your seventy-seven years of Irish dancing? Uh, not really, not in the teaching line. Mm. I have lived through a couple of little um, upheavals in the health system. I can remember when I was in primary school, there was an epidemic of um, what they used to call, um, uh, oh, what was it now, infantile paralysis, which became polio. Mm. And, of course, all the schools were shut down at that stage because a girl that was sitting next to me in class developed it, unfortunately. Mm. She did recover eventually, but she was in a wheelchair for many, many years. Mm. But that was a one major thing, but that was going back into the 19... or oh, that would have been 1930s into the 40s. Yeah. So, but that otherwise than that, nothing as big as this. Yeah. Um a lot of a lot of uh, sporting clubs and um, people I'm talking to have sort of tried virtual tuition and lessons. Has that crossed your mind at all with your school? Yes. Well, actually, actually, I have been looking into the possibilities of going online. Mm. Um, I'm still still fiddling around with that, but um, I haven't quite got to it yet. But I will. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, uh, if it continues to go on, that's what I will do. Yeah. And. Um, the the idea of online lessons, has that ever happened in the history of your dance teaching? No, not to my knowledge. I can't ever recall anything like that. No. <laughs> well, yep, so you're willing to adapt, which is awesome. Um, That's right, yes. I'm willing to take up any challenge at all. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know you've got another project um, happening at the moment. Um, you're reaching out to former students, so uh, it's, it seems like you want to recall some of the past years of uh, the O'Shea Ryan School of Dance um, through your former pupils and, and bring that those stories to the present-day students. Can you tell me about that project? Uh, yes. Well, actually, uh, sitting here thinking about things and the years have gone by over the years, how things have changed. The dancing and the system of teaching and the whole dancing scene has completely changed to what it was when I was even dancing or to when I first started teaching. And I have many of my older dancers still living around and I thought it would be interesting to hear their thoughts on their days of dancing in the olden days mm. and 
compare it with what goes on these days because the young the young dancers of today have no conception of what it was like when I first started teaching or the the problems that the students had even getting to classes. Most of them did not have cars. They travelled on public transport. Mm. They came once a week and it was it was a, a totally different scene altogether. So I did think that while everyone is sitting around and possibly thinking of something to brighten their days up, if mm. they could take their memories back to what it was like in the early days. Mm. And I've had some very, very interesting reports back from some of my older dancers mm. and recalling what it was like coming to class, how they interacted with the other students, what they did during class times, how they got there, mm. what they wore and where they travelled to and how they travelled in those days, going back 60, 70 years ago. Mm. So you're actually um, getting responses from people as far back as, like, the 1950s or 60s? Yes, I have. I've mm. had one who, uh, a couple who have been, uh, that learned from me 60, 60-something 60 years ago, one girl who has learned 70 years ago from mm. me, and things like that. And the, uh, the scene was totally different. Mm. Uh, you could not imagine what it was like then. Mm. as to what it is compared to today. Yeah. Okay. And what about the dancing as it's, itself? Has that changed much or has that been sort of um, sort of stable throughout the whole history that you've been involved? Well, no, it has had a major, major change. Mm. Over the years, it has gradually changed considerably. Uh, the basics, I suppose, are still there, mm. the basic basic movements and things, but there are a lot of extra added movements that were never, ever attempted in the earlier days. Yep. And, of course, uh, things now where uh, in in the early days of when we were dancing, people, the dancers, the individual solo dancers did not travel a great distance over the floor. Mm. It was mainly in the one spot or very close to an area. Mm. But now, of course, a lot of these solo dancers travel a great distance over these huge stages that they have mm. and they cover a great distance in their every step of their dance. And, of course, it's more flowing. Mm. Um, then, of course, there is a great, uh, great height thing today that was never allowed. Um, in mm. those days, if... Um, if a girl kicked higher than higher than the knee of her other leg, she was uh, she was wasn't looked on very favourably and looked as though to be a bit of a hussy. Oh. But of course, these days the um, the dancers, of course, are very uh, jumping a great deal higher, and of mm. course they're kicking way over their heads sometimes. Yeah. So there are lots and lots of changes apart from the individual dances and steps and things. And, of course, it is totally, diff totally different now to what it was. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, didn't realise that, that even the, the kick height um, was, yeah, so controversial back then and now it's... Yes, well, this is right. We, we often laugh about it. I think yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the older dancers would be horrified with the, the height that they kick to these days. Yeah, right. Huh. Um, I I have also picked up that you're in the process of doing some archiving for the State Library, is that right? That's right, yes, yes. Um, I've had, well, I have my own archives, as I call them, 
mm-hmm. which is memorabilia going back to when I first started, or even uh, Irish memorabilia going back before I was around. My mother was a bit of a hoarder too, mm-hmm. and she kept lots and lots of Irish things. And of course, um, Pat, Pat, my husband's mother, was also a bit of a hoarder, and she kept lots of things. And of course, as I'm the last of the Americans altogether, mm-hmm. um, I think I've ended up with everything from way back. Yeah. So I do have lots of Irish memorabilia going back into the early 1900s mm. of things before my time. Mm. And, of course, then I've kept up lots of things from prog- programs, paper cuttings, news articles, you name it, um, going back to when I first started dancing in the 1935 I started. Yes. So I've got lots and lots of memorabilia. And the, uh, over the years, it's just gathered up. And, of course, my family laughed. They've, they've laughed at me all the years mm. with um, me and with, with all my boxes of things. Yeah. And, of course, uh, it was quite a standing joke amongst my family where the, the young ones would say, oh, mum and all her junk. Yeah. But, of course... This so-called junk has suddenly taken a great turning where now the um, people have always been saying to me, what are you going to do with that? Mm. That's a treasure and a half because as it turns out, um, a a gentleman from the state library Mm. contacted me about it all and apparently they are very, very short on Irish history from the early days and the lifestyle of the Irish when they first came to Australia here in the early 1900s. And so he has been going through things with me, interviewing me and looking at a lot of the programs that I have here and everything. And he is amazed at the different records that I've kept over the years. He just said that is a real treasure trove there. But So with the result that over the years, I've often thought, well, what do I do with it? Hmm. My family, as they got older, of course, have started to appreciate that it, that it is of interest and everything. But, hmm. of course, what what do they do with it? That was their problem. And, of course, now the State Library are very interested and they want to take it over. Yeah. And so that will be the eventual ending for it, that eventually it will end up with the State Library where it will be able to be accessed by anybody when they get it onto their um, systems and everything. Um, At the moment, um, I've transferred a little bit of of, uh, material, but not a great deal yet, but uh, I will eventually be transferring it all over. And of course, when when my time is up, it will eventually go there and will be accessible by any other generation coming along to see what we did in the funny old days. Yeah. So, that that is it, but... Mm. I was going to say that's quite spine-tingling for me, Geraldine. I mean, that you've got this treasure trove of information that uh, people want and are going to value so highly. How do you feel about this um, as a result of of this um, material you've kept over the years? Are you happy with this result? Uh, well, I, I feel a lot happier that I know that it will be going to somewhere that will be kept, that can be accessed by anybody who may be interested in researching Mm. the early days of the Irish here in around around Melbourne Mm. and Australia Mm. and to see what life was like, 
what we did, what everybody did in the early days, even before my time, mm. and to see the actual lifestyles of them and their cultural outlets and things. Mm. Life was totally different here, even when I was growing up. It, it's a totally different world now to when I was growing up, of course. Mm. And, of course, um, it, there have been big, big changes yeah. over my lifetime even, and that's... Uh, Going back to my parents' days, of course, it was a lot different again. So mm. it will be good. I'm, I'm quite happy with that, mm. that it will eventually end up somewhere that it can possibly be of some use or information mm. to the next generation. Yeah, and have you been doing it long? Have you been doing these interviews and um, gathering um, with the State Library for long? Has it been a few months? Um, well, actually, it's, it all started up actually about... Oh, 12 or 18 months ago when mm. they first contacted me yeah. and I've had two or three interviews with the, the gentleman there and yeah. he's recorded it all yeah. and everything but uh, he's been to have a look at um, samples of some of the I didn't know what on earth he was <laughs> interested in looking at because I was not aware of what the type of thing that they were even looking for mm. so by the time I pulled out lots and lots of boxes and gave him a sample of sort of what there was that I had and uh, he was very interested and very pleased to see that I, a lot of it had been kept so well and of course um, he was delighted with the prospect of you know eventually the State Library taking it over and so I found that that was a, a good home for it because mm. there's nowhere else where you can lodge all of this memorabilia and make sure that it is kept. Mm. No, none of the organisations around have facilities for storing or keeping things that can be accessed. Mm. The Irish Embassy in Canberra has no facilities. They have nothing of that nature. There's nowhere in Australia at all that keeps anything of that nature at all. That no. uh, for, and, and unfortunately, the Irish in the early days did not keep anything mm. and this is the, the pity because a lot of organisations that went out of existence did not keep anything there was no records kept no no history kept it was just a matter of what people like um, my family who were bits of hoarders and stored things mm. that kept things but otherwise there was nothing kept mm. and that is why there was so, so little of it around from the early days and of course uh, that's where it has suddenly now become very important to them. Yeah, this is incredible. It's it's so it's now it's so rare, and you've been able to come up with some so much valued material. Um, that's that's a great story. <laughs> yeah. No so doubt. of course, well, the thing was, of course, uh, there was even even there going back um, going back uh, starting back a few years back now. Um, I was asked by some Irish pipers. Now, I was uh, connected with the Irish pipe bands. My husband, Pat Ryan, mm. was an Irish piper for many years. Mm. And, of course, uh, some of the elderly gentlemen of the time said to me, there's been nothing, absolutely nothing, written about the Irish pipe bands in Victoria mm. um, there at all. There's nothing on record. Can we get together and see what we can assemble? Mm. So with the result that 
he asked me whether I would join because I was so well associated with them. Mm. And, of course, I was just thinking I'd be just doing the little secretarial bit of work. But, of course, as it got together, there were only about half a dozen of us um, mm. alive at that time. And, of course, they uh, kept talking about what was going on with the Irish pipe bands back the our first Irish pipe band in Victoria started in 1908, mm. and of course, up until the present time, what Irish pipers are around now. But of course, the thing was that nothing had been kept. But I, once again, had lots and lots of photos. Mm. My parents and Pat's parents had kept photos and things, and of course, other people then started to supply some some photos that they had of different bands. Mm. Now I had photos going back to the 1920s of the Irish pipe bands mm -hmm. and right up through then through the generations. So with the result that we were able to get together and assemble uh, write-ups on each of the pipe bands up to the present time on the era, different eras of the pipe bands with photos, names and as much as we could. Mm -hmm. And that that's, a lot of that was printed in an abridged form in the Tain magazine, okay. T-A-I-N, which, which is now uh, available online, I think it is. It's yep. not, not, a, not published now. But uh, we did episodes through that with uh, Val Noon, who was very good in, in supporting us in doing that. But, of course, it was only in an abridged form now. Um, I have all of those, those mm. were done, and unfortunately... Um, Mm. As time went along, the the members of the pipers who were originally setting this up uh, passed away. And, mm. of course, at the moment, I'm the only one left out of that group yeah. to finish it off because the finishing product is to compile it all into a book, to mm. make it a book and to add all the extra photos and memorabilia from those pipe bands that weren't able to be uh, put into the short abridged forms in the Tain magazine. Mm. Now, um, the, uh, unfortunately, I've, uh, I've run out of time over the years. Mm. Uh, maybe I'll get to the, finish that during this lockdown. Yeah. That might be a project I could complete, yeah. which would be good. But um, I need to do that because I'm the last of them to, left to do it to yeah. get it into a full book form. But however, but that 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 is another part of history that's never ever been done, mm. and um, of course it's been very very important there because uh, well once again nothing has ever been uh, catalogued about it before. Yeah. Oh, well, there's a, another project for you. Um, yeah. During this period, um, I I um, obviously um, am talking to you with a sense of timing that the Croyd Irish Festival was due this weekend, but unfortunately it's been cancelled due to the pandemic. Um, you were the Festival Artist of the Year in 2017. Are, are you going to miss it this year? I, I imagine it'd be one of the highlights on your calendar. Well, yes. Well, it's always the, the children and the families always look forward to the Croyd Irish Festival. And it is a sad time that it is missing out this year because it would have been a great festival this year after all the publicity it received with the program for back roads and everything, mm. which publicised it more and made it, made it more, um, and knowledgeable to people who maybe hadn't tapped into the festival. So I think there were going to be a lot more people attending this year. And unfortunately, 
we yeah. have this uh, lockdown yeah. where um, it's just not happening. But maybe next year it will be twice as big and we can only hope for the best. That's the main thing. But, of yeah. course, Kaurit is a wonderful little place. It's a great little festival and it's, it's grown, but I hope it doesn't grow to be too big and too unwieldy yeah. where it doesn't become a little family affair. Yeah. Because it, 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 otherwise, if it loses its um, natural homeliness, I think that will take away from it. But it is, it's a very welcoming festival. The people are wonderful. And it is a great little festival there completely. And it is grown, but it has grown. Mm. But that's, but I just don't, I just hope that it doesn't get to such an unwieldy state where it just becomes like another big, uh, folk festival that that uh, you know that doesn't really have that homeliness about it. Mm. Yeah, I understand what you mean with with that, and and yeah, sort of the downside of getting so much publicity. But um, yeah, there's obviously a lot of positives there. And and Geraldine, it's it's otherwise been a a really um, big year for you. You were honoured with an Order of Australia medal earlier this year um, for your service to Irish dancing. Um, and I think you were meant uh, due to accept that in March at Government House. I, I suppose that that meeting's been postponed? That's right, yes, yes. They put that on the back burner for the time being yeah. until everyone is safe to assemble again. So yeah. I don't know when that will be. They did say possibly, possibly later this year or whenever. They don't quite know. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, how big an honour is that for you to have received the Order of Australia Medal? Well, I look on it this way that I think I think it's a it's a great honour for the fact that the Australian government here is acknowledging the Irish culture mm. here in Australia because the Irish culture goes back a long way. It was brought here by the early settlers, and of course, it it it's been a big part of Australia. And mm. now the government, I feel, are acknowledging that. That is something to be acknowledged, and I'm very pleased for that aspect of it too. And, of course, apart from that, I feel as though it's it's a great honour, but once again, I must say that I'll be forever grateful to my grandparents Mm -hmm. for coming to Australia and bringing with them their their love and uh, dedication to Irish culture, the song, music and dance, Mm -hmm. and their faith that I have grown up with yeah. all my life and, of course, so uh, that I've now been able to benefit by and also the fact that by coming here to Australia, I was born here in Australia, yeah. so I feel as though I have the best of both countries. I have all the mm. Irish culture and I have the best of living here in Australia. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what were your grandparents' names? What were, I beg your pardon? Uh, what were your grandparents' names? You don't mind um, asking. Well, O'Shea, O'Shea was from O'Shea was from Cork and Clare, and my 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 mother's side, the grandparents' side, were Thistleton. They were also from Clare. Right. So there. Yeah. So yes, it is a it's it's a great time. Um, I was born here in Australia. I mm. grew up in Hawthorne, Hawthorne oh, just yeah. outside Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but um, I married Pat Ryan, yep. and his parents were both Irish, and they uh, were from Wexford and Tipperary. Okay. 
Yep. So we have this Irish on both sides. So, of course, the natural thing when I was growing up was that uh, everybody who came to our home in Hawthorne, they were all Irish. Mm. And, of course, in those days, life was different. Mm. There was there was no... Um, no uh, no push button things, no television. We did have a, a wireless. It was a wireless in those days, not a radio or wireless. Mm, yeah. And of course, you made your own entertainment. We sang, everybody played the piano, played instruments, and sang and danced. And the ones who came, they were all Irish. And of course, when they came, they brought their instruments mm. and they all gathered around and they sang and played and danced. Mm. You pushed the kitchen table back and, and you danced. Now that's the way I grew up. Yeah. So of course, it was just natural that, that, uh, that you go into an avenue of that nature with all the Irish connections. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, so you had that grounding there in your family home and then, uh, yeah, by five years old, you started Irish dancing lessons, I suppose. Um, well, I started, now I started to learn dancing. Now, it's, I learned dancing in a, a very historical place. It was St. Patrick's Hall, mm-hmm. which was located um, on 4, 470 Burke Street mm. in the city, yep. St. Patrick's Hall. Now, I learned dancing there when I was five years old, and that that hall was actually the base, the venue of the first parliament of Victoria. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, that. Uh, that, that, that building, that building, unfortunately, was demolished in the 1950s sometime. I can't remember when, mm. um, uh, which should never have been because it's part of Australian history as well as the Irish. Mm. And uh, at that time, that the St. Patrick's Hall was the largest hall in Melbourne. And the, when the separation between New South Wales and Victoria Came, Victorian Parliament had no hall to no hall or building mm. to set up their their government in. So of course they rented the St Patrick's Hall building for so many years until they were able to set themselves up. And I have all the history of that written down too, and photos of the original mm. St Patrick's Hall originally there too. Mm. So there's a lot of memorabilia there. Mm. Um, but uh, once again, and that is the site where when the St. Patrick's Day Parade started in Melbourne way back in the early 1900s, they always commenced at the top of Burke Street outside St. Patrick's Hall and paraded down through the township right through. Yeah. And that was where they commenced right through until they finished. Mm. So mm. there was so much significance of that particular hall to you Um in your early life, and um, I, yeah, so you, you obviously started dancing there, and at age twelve, you decided to take up teaching for the first time. Um, I think uh, I've read elsewhere that an elderly Irish man had taught you some dances that weren't yet known in Melbourne. That's right. Yes, yes. There was um, m- uh, Mr. Tim Downey. Mm-hmm. He was an elderly Irishman. I used to think he was very, very old. He was probably only in his late seventies of those <laughs> days. But of course, um, he was a very, very lovely man, and he had some uh, some very interesting Irish set dances, 
which uh, were not danced here in Australia at the time. Mm. Now, he taught them to me. He was a friend of the family's. He taught them to me, and I was the only one dancing them at that stage. Now, the Irish organisations of the time uh, came to my mother. This was all unbeknownst to me, of course. Mm. A little child didn't know, wasn't a... Wasn't a, wasn't to know all these things, but yeah. I learned about it later on. They approached my mother asking whether I would be able to start a little class and teach these dancers on because they were looking at it from the fact that I was a young child and that, um, mm-hmm. that Mr. Downey was a very elderly man and getting on in years yeah. and that they were frightened that these dancers might be lost. Yeah. Um, so of course, You've got to look back to a different era. Mm. I was a 12-year-old little girl. Uh, now, a 12-year-old back in those days was a very simple little, innocent little 12-year-old girl, mm. not like some of the little 12-year-old girls today mm. who are very advanced and very mm. know-it-all and <laughs> very up with everything sort of thing. <laughs> so it was a totally different era. So, of course, my mother immediately put her foot down and said, no way. This is ridiculous. She's a child. Of course, mm. she can't start teaching. This is rubbish. Mm. So, of course, uh, they went away. But sometime later, they apparently approached my mother again and explained the situation to her, their reasoning. Yeah. And she must have relented and said, well, she is only a child, so I will have to be with her yeah. and I will have to be in charge of what she's doing because... For goodness sake, she's only a child. And of course, uh, looking back, I I was a very simple little child in those days, and as all young ones were. And of course, um, that is where it all started. And gradually over the time, it snowballed from being a small group of little dancers onto a few more, and then a few more wanted to learn, and gradually bit by bit. And then over the years... Mm. Um, I went into different little halls and things and of course as the years went by um, the various places wanted to have classes here, there and everywhere Mm. and that's how it all snowballed and of course in those days um, Irish dancing Mm. was mainly done only by people who were Irish themselves or people of Irish descent Mm. And there were very, I can't ever recall any other nationalities doing it. But of course, these days it's totally different because now every nationality in the world Mm. is doing Irish dancing. Mm. Even in my classes, I do have lots of different nationalities, Mm. children from different backgrounds, Mm. Vietnamese, Mm. Polish, um, Chinese, Mm. Oh, Pakistani, you yeah. name it. They're, they're all doing it because they just love their dancing, mm. not particularly because of any historical benefit to them, yeah. but they just love the Irish dancing. And, of course, it's uh, progressed in that way too over the years. Yeah, that's really interesting that it started off as the Irish and descendants and it's it's become global, um, yeah, which is, it seems really healthy, which is great. Um, yes, I, well, of course, I, th- I think the thing was that um, that uh, with all the, the different uh, shows that publicised the dancing over the mm. years, it brought it out into the open to the worldwide general public. And, of course, uh, that's where the interest started, I think, because uh, generally it was mainly 
just closed up between the Irish groups and things. Yeah, yeah, obviously things like river dance probably helped along the way. Um, well, I, this is right. Yeah, I was going to say to you, I, I bet um, most people listening to this will be from southwest Victoria and really interested in our, our story with you um, in terms of uh, how you got to start teaching um, in this part of Victoria. Um, am I right in saying it started at the Port Ferry Scout Hall or is that not right? Um, now, I'm just trying to recall where I did start actually down there. Mm. I know I was teaching in the early days at the Scout Hall in Port Ferry. Mm. Then I taught for a little while. I was in a small hall near the, uh, uh, at the back of the, is it the Anglican Church there? I think a little little mm. stone building. Mm. And uh, mm. then it, it progressed, you know, from one place to another for a while. And then, of course, uh, it went down. I taught for a while in, in Warrnambool. Mm. And, of course, uh, then gradually, uh, as the St. Bridget's became available, was setting up their Irish connection there with the with the St Bridget's Hall, mm. which was um, which was mainly to bring out the Irish culture and make a make a base for music, song, and dance and entertainment. Mm. Well, that's when uh, they asked me to come there to St Bridget's, which I was delighted to because mm. um, St Bridget's Hall has a lot of history there. Mm. There's a lot of um, ancient memories going back there with it and to carry on with the Irish culture there from the early settlers, well, I think that's great. Yeah, and, her, yeah, I know that they very much appreciate having you there as well, so and that's worked out really well for both parties. Um, so just, I know it's probably, t- yeah, obviously tough to remember, but the, the timeline I've sort of been given around you coming to this area is that... Uh, yeah, whether it was the first place or not, the, the Port Ferry Scout Hall, there was a local policeman, Ken Dwight, and his daughter, Megan, that... Um, That's were, right, yes, yeah, yes. Connections? That's right, yes. Well, yes, uh, Ken Dwight was quite a quite a uh, follower of the Irish because his daughter learned from me. Mm. And, of course, when he became uh, um, one of the police officers in Port Ferry, he was very anxious to have the the dancing set up there as well, I know. Mm. Um, and, of course, Megan, his daughter, who danced with me for many years, um, she was really into the dancing and quite a good dancer. Yeah. And, of course, uh, uh, Ken Ken was very good in, in helping in any way he could to... He's always been a great backstop and a back, back, great helper in mm. trying to do anything he could for the Irish dancing in any part of the globe, wherever he is, mm. and he still supports it by whenever we go overseas. If he, if it's a possibility for him to have his leave at that time, you can you can always imagine <laughs> to see Ken Ken and uh, his wife Susan mm. um, on the on the trip to to support us because they 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 just love everything about the Irish dancing over the years, and they've had a lot of yeah. lot of interesting friends they've made and. It's just been a great connection all the time. So mm. really, it's um, yes, it, it, it's an interesting thing, the friends you make over the years and the mm. connections. Now, around the state, when mm. I go around the different country centres, there is a real little network, even amongst the dancers, because even though they, they live in different parts of the state, mm. uh, quite a lot of the young ones are in communication with each other. Yeah. Some of them have a little holiday on their 
holiday breaks with each other oh, in yeah. different parts of the state. Mm. They're always they can always tell me who's going to be at the next festival, who they're going to meet up with, and this is it. It's great. It's it's a community community effort that's right around the state amongst the dancers, which is great, and their families. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and. It, I know firsthand because um, having been a past student of yours and having you stayed at our house many oh, times. Oh, yes. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, a wonderful yes, well, experience. It's, it's, yes, and the people are very good. They're, they always, they always um, try to pamper me and look after mm-hmm. me and I haven't had to <laughs> – I'm very fortunate I haven't had to sleep out under the stars ever yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's um, something I wanted to ask. Um, obviously, I've been on the side of, of um, having had you stay at our family home over the years, but I wondered, um, what's it like for you? This you you, say, you have like an experience that not many people in this world would have had is is travelling around the state and staying with, you know, and a, well, a different family every time. Is how does that feel? That experience? Oh, I, I love it because I, I love I love the families, and mm. of course there are always the little sisters and brothers who are there who are ready to to play with me or show me their toys and mm. of course they're all their, their their dogs and cats and things that mm. I that I meet up with that I've, I've made great friends amongst all their animals and yeah. um, some of the animals that used to look at me at first but uh, and growl at first but now now they just look when I arrive they just sort of uh, just come up to me and look for a pat now they're used to me yeah. so I, I do I do the, love their animals and also it's it's interesting because um, it's actually going back in time, as um, as Dr. John Cullinane said once. Mm-hmm. It's like as though I'm the modern day travelling dance teacher because yeah. in Ireland back in the early days mm-hmm. they had the travelling dance masters mm-hmm. who travelled from one county to another and stayed with families overnight while they taught. Mm-hmm. Now that of course doesn't happen here in Australia except to the likes of, of me when I'm mm. travelling around like a gypsy. Yeah. And <laughs> so, of course, uh, as he said, you're, you're like a modern-day travelling master. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, I I have to ask about these overseas trips, Geraldine. Um, it's an amazing thing you do almost every year. You take students over overseas um that it's an, a chance to represent our irish culture from australia um and as I, right. think I mentioned earlier this year uh poland slovenia and montenegro um had been the plan this year um how important is it that you give these uh students of yours the opportunity to represent um the irish culture and overseas well i think it's another another outlet for those who are able to take the chance there to do it, mm. um, it's not compulsory by any means. It's just an opportunity there that is available to them. Mm. And I think it is wonderful because, um, because uh, well, over the years I've been known around the world quite a bit because I've done a lot of adjudicating of international folk festivals around different countries around the world mm. and I've become known through those mm. and of course every year I get all these different invitations to Geraldine please bring a group here to our festival next year it's it's at such and such a time and all the rest mm. and 
I get all these invitations, but if I took up all the invitations every year, I'm afraid I would not be home here yeah. very for very long. Yeah. So therefore, I have to pick and choose at to what time of year and which festivals fit in with what we're doing here in Australia, of course. But then, of course, it is opened up to the dancers and to the different ones. Um, it, a lot of the older girls... Mm. Um, are the main ones who did older dances, but there are intermediate dancers and on occasions we've had some younger dancers who have come along as well because maybe their parents have come along mm. as well. Maybe the parents have come and I give them a job as flag bearers mm. because we always take the Australian and the Irish flag with us. Yep. And, of course, uh, or sometimes one of the parents might be a dancer as well. Yeah. So therefore, the opportunity is there for them to come and take part. Now, when we travel and when we do these festivals, the international folk festivals are a wonderful experience in the fact that you go to a different country mm-hmm. where things are totally different to what your lifestyle here in Australia is. And, of course, you are also meeting up with all the different other nationalities who come from other countries. Now, we are the only Irish group at that festival, usually. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we we represent the Irish here in Australia. And, of course, we meet up and mix in during the festival time. The festivals are not like the festivals here where you might get a festival that goes on possibly at the longest for maybe a long weekend. Mm. But over over in some countries, the festivals might go on for seven days. Mm. Um, some might be a bit less, but some might go on for seven days. And, of course, everybody is mixing in together. You do have free time as well. So we do a lot of sightseeing around the different countries and, of course, uh, in the main places where we go to are usually off the beaten track a little bit. Mm. We do go into the main city, but then we quite often go out to villages. And, of course, the villages are the really, really beautiful places where the real lifestyle of the people, of the local people, is. Mm. And, of course, that's what the people, what our group like, because some of the little villages that we've been to um, I don't think even appear on a map. Yeah. And of course, and uh, sometimes it's, it's incredible, the lifestyle. You, while you are there, you become part of that little village. Mm. And of course, it is amazing. And then of course, we go into the bigger cities where we perform as well. And of course, the bigger cities are, well, cities around the world are just cities mainly. Yeah. Whereas you, to get the real lifestyle of the local population is in the villages. So we do visit a lot of the villages as well as the big cities. And of course the experience is wonderful. Apart from, apart from the, when you are there, mm-hmm. you are, you've got to remember you are on a world stage. Yes. You are representing another country and you are the responsibility and the uh, under the control of that country there, and you are you are representing. So you have to be right up to the mark when you are performing and what you are doing. Mm. Now, a lot of my senior dancers who appear down at Port at um, Croyd mm-hmm. at the festival. Yep. Now, when we're dancing down at Croyd, we have all the little beginners, uh, lots and lots of little beginners, and of course the in between ones and the older dancers. Now. 
what people see on the streets when we're performing. They see the general dance group of the ones taking part, nice and enjoying themselves up and down mm. the street with their groups and their solo dances and things. Mm. But what a lot of people don't realise is that some of those older dancers and the in-between dancers are very experienced international performers mm. because they have travelled with me overseas and they have experienced the mere fact of being on a world stage mm. in with all other nationalities and performing. So really, they only see a, one side of their dancing. They only see the side where they're enjoying it. Mm. They're putting on a display up and down the street yeah. and, and casually dancing there. They don't realise that, that those older dancers are experienced professional performers, not professional, but mm. um, experienced is what the word is, not, not professional. Yes. Yeah, experienced I, performers on a world stage and that they have travelled around the world and taken part in lots and lots of festivals in many parts of, the, of Europe and Asia. And, of course, um, therefore, they can't be discounted as just casual dancers who are busking up and down the street of Croyd. No. <laughs> and, yeah, I understand. That's yeah, that's a really, really interesting point you make um, about that. And I know speaking to your dancers, some of your dancers, they really value um, that aspect that you do take them beyond the touristy attractions when you do go on, over, on an overseas trip and you do go out to these smaller villages and they get th that world stage experience. So um, what, one, one thing that came up in conversations about that with a, a student of yours was about um, you, they said that you play an important role in educating students about cultural respect on these trips. So meaning that, you know, about respecting your own culture and that of others. How important is that to you? I think it's very important because these days travel is much more available to everyday young ones than it ever was in my day growing up. And, of course, a lot of families realise that their young ones are going to want to spread their wings and mm. travel overseas and do sightseeing and do everything. Now, when you travel outside your own country... You can't expect everything to be the same as your own country or your own values or anything else. Mm. You have to know exactly where you are going, how to travel safely and to what to respect in other countries. They have different ways and they have rules and regulations that must be respected mm. and they have different cultural outlooks. Mm. Now, the thing is that a lot of the families... Some some families, they like the idea of their young ones travelling in a group because they say, well, we can't all afford to go together, but we would like our young ones to travel mm. to learn how to do it safely and respectfully to other cultures. Because when you go, um, as I, uh, there, there are rules when we travel. They all know the rules mm. that they have to toe the line. We're going to have our fun. We're going to have our enjoyment. We're going to perform because that is the main reason you are going to. But there is also the fact that you have to learn how to respect the other cultures and what life is like in another country. As I tell them, uh, when you get, get away, no one is going to starve. Mm. The food is going to be very good. It's going to be good. It may not be what you are used to. Mm. It may not be cooked the same way as your mum and, mum and dad cook it. Mm. It may not be exactly the same as what you possibly like, but you, it will be all good food. You will not start. And 
when you get back home, it mm. will make you appreciate what you have at home yeah. when you get back home. Now, also, they have to understand that lots of cultures, even the mere fact of going to going into different um, um, temples or churches and things of this nature, how they must dress and mm. the fact that they must be aware that they they can't go in with um, with very short shorts or bare shoulders or mm. sometimes you need to have a, a head a, a scarf over your head yep. things like this you must know know that these these are uh, facts that have to be respected in other countries and mm. that you have to abide by them and toe the line it doesn't hurt to take an extra scarf or so in the in your bag yep. it's no extra weight problem but it will save you a lot of embarrassment and mm. it will make you learn to respect other cultures. And, of course, this is where they learn all of this. And, of course, once again, mm. and of course, young ones going off first time around, they need to learn to look after their passports, their yeah. travel documents and all of this thing because when they're excited and looking around and everything, well, you find that they're dropping things here and looking around and getting things stolen from them and all the rest. So I said, the first thing you do is stop, put everything away safely. Yeah. Now we will move and then we can go and look and enjoy it. There. But uh, once again, they have to learn how to look after themselves um, enjoy themselves, but be aware of what's on around them too. And of course, this is and the main thing is to come back home safely after a wonderful trip. Yeah, and that and this is what the parents like because eventually the girls and boys will eventually spread out, spread their wings and travel on their own, which many of them have done. Mm. And of course. Uh, they often look back and say, "Yes, yes, you taught us well. <laughs> we, we know how to how to how to get around and look after ourselves and yeah. be safe and still have a great time." Yeah, that it sounds incredible. Like that sounds unparalleled. Like for a young person to get that experience is just magical. And um, yeah, it, it sounds like your students have really appreciated that. Um, yeah, I, I just. I, I might. I, I might. I might sound like the old dragon sometimes <laughs> when I'm saying, quick, put that bag around in front, don't have it hanging over your shoulder like that. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but never mind, we we do have a lot of fun and they, they're quite um, quite used to me all, so we get along pretty well. They, they all know... They all know how far they can go, and we all we get along very well. I can't say I have any problems with the dancers. Yeah. They're all good. Yeah. I, I want to finish on a, um, a little anecdote I got from one of your dancers. So um, I've been told that you um, are a fan of rehearsals in airports, that um, <laughs> you that just, they reckon just about every airport they've been to um, – the, you're quite happy to call a rehearsal, so there'll be a little speaker in the carry-on luggage, and that will be brought out between flights. And um, you, uh, I think, you end up picking a spot in um, sort of a non-used boarding area. And um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I think you say something like, "Oh, the dancers will have oh, you have 15 minutes, and then we're going to do a rehearsal." And um, and then the, you know you attract a small crowd and. Um, the people, you know, people are clapping or uh, people that need to get past just move around your group. I mean, I think um, having known you for so many years and, and seen how you operate um, your school and the dancers, it, it sort of shows how dedicated 
you are to your um to your, your Irish dancing teaching. I mean, uh, do, do you have a passion to to just keep going and going, Geraldine? Well, I've got no plans for changing my my routine. Really, mm. I've got. To, I haven't thought about that at all. People are often saying to me, "When are you going to retire?" and "What are you going to do when you retire?" and all the rest. And I said, "Well." I don't really know. I haven't thought about that. And mm. this word retiring doesn't mm. seem to enter into my vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we have had lots of funny incidents around different airports because sometimes you'll be changing flights and you might have time in between where instead of sitting around doing nothing, I'll say, okay, let's get up and walk through what 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 your routine might be. Mm. See if anyone remembers it. We, we, you might not be really dancing it, fully dancing it, but we'll walk through it or shuffle through it mm. just in to get the places and things, and we'll find a corner that's not being used in the airport yeah. and uh, set up and get our place, just get our placings and who remembers are you in your right place or where are you? And... Uh, just refresh their memory on it and go through and have a bit of a practice there and that fills in the time if we're if we're at an airport where we have quite a bit of time in between changing flights or something or other. So we've had lots of funny things and of course then you get many strange looks and then mm. gradually a few people gather and a few clap and we <laughs> and yeah. before we know it we we've caused a bit of a sensation in the airport yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it's quite funny, but the, the young ones are used to me saying, oh, well, never mind, if we can't remember it, we'll practice at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. I reckon that's one of my favourites um, that, that I've heard about you. Um, so, Geraldine, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think it's just so important that we share your story. Um, and I know you're incredibly humble and maybe that your story is only starting to come out um, more and more this year and more recently. So, um, I, yeah, I think everyone appreciates the time that you give and, um, yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me and I hope people um, enjoy the thoughts of times in the past and the present time, which is totally different, a mm. different era altogether. But it's it's great to compare the two and to look back and, Think of the fun times, lots of fun times that we've had in the past. But mm. think of the fun times we're having now in the future as well and at the present time. And, of course, the lockdown, of course, well, that's mm. something totally different. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. thank you so much for having me. And and I do hope that the Kuwait Festival is full steam ahead for next year and the dancers, once again, will all be looking forward to it with mm. twice as many attending and uh, twice as many events happening there. So, and providing the weather is good and everyone is safe and healthy, that's the main thing. Yeah.